This is Fred Schenkberg, and, and welcome to today's Ascendo Reliability webinar on a question that I bring up fairly regularly and get asked fairly regularly uh, for a number of years, yet it is a topic that just doesn't seem to want to go away. So I want to, I want to talk about it again today in a little more focus. And a little bit of housekeeping is if you've got a question or a comment or something like that, you have a qu question feature in your dashboard, I believe, and you can twirl that open and you can type in a question. I'll keep an eye on that, look for them, and uh, we'll respond probably audible, but also share comments and questions out to everybody as quick as I can. And so still looking for a, a better application for chat, but uh, this is what we got at the moment. So let's talk about MTBF or MTTF. Uh, I'm going to use those terms interchangeably and uh, for a variety of reasons. So one of the questions um, I have asked over the years is why do we even use MTBF? Now there's a whole range of reasons and from the questions I got from the registration page is it seemed like a, a very high number of people saying, well, what do, or not high percentage, is it about 10, 10% of the people that uh, registered asked, it's in our contract, we're required to use it. So, well, there's a reason to use it, right? It's, it's a reason to use it. But it's one of those that, is that really why you should use it? Does that make much sense whatsoever? Right? And another question was exactly from the registration is, when is it useful? Well. If any of you heard me talk about this topic in the past, you'll know that I'll say, well, never. And it's not because it's mathematically inaccurate or it doesn't convey what it actually is calculating or any of those other reasons, is that way too many people, including in the reliability world, don't know what it means. You know, we, we think mean time between failure, oh yeah, that's just an average for good. And then they go off and say, what's the 50th percentile or it's a failure free period. And many of you heard me talk about all of the ways that our community of peers, our community of colleagues, our community of customers and vendors really don't understand what this means. And I've had this in military settings. I've had this in commercial settings. I've had this with vendors. Um, on and on and on, I can tell you stories for a whole nother hour about how, way, how many ways this term or MTTF is just misunderstood. And, and beyond it being just an average, beyond being it, it, it masks what's really going on with your data, like if you have an early life failure or, late, or early wear out, you still get the same MTBF, which is meaningless. And is it over what duration? And there's, let me get off my soapbox. There's so many things wrong with the understanding, the use, and the information it conveys that we should just never use it. Just never. So that's probably a subject for a whole other podcast about all the ways it can go wrong. That, and I probably will mention a few of them as we go on. And the issue is, is and I came back to it here in this slide, is well, not everybody understands it. And this goes back to the very first time I really focused on this subject. It was years ago at a, uh, a conference and I was being introduced. I had, I think a 45 minute or hour and a half slot or something like that. It wasn't a tutorial, it was a nice conference where you got a nice good chunk of time to, to present. And I was all queued up to talk about reliability engineering management and all the assessment stuff I had been doing and, and, and been learning about. And slides were all queued up, I got a nice introduction. But just before that all started, somebody came up to me and asked me a question. So I'm working with, with a customer and I don't think they understand MTBF. I think they're asking for it, but I think they mean something other than what they're asking for. I says, okay, and then we talked about it briefly and then I got introduced and I walked up on stage. So I asked everybody in the audience, have you ever run across somebody that doesn't understand MTBF? 
this was a reliability conference and there's a bunch of reliability engineers and quality managers and stuff like that, people like that in the audience and everybody raised their hand. So I didn't do anything on the presentation I was slated to do and we spent an hour and a half and they got, the organizers got nervous uh, because I was running into lunchtime talking about all the different ways and all of the consequences of this misunderstanding. And it just went on and on and on. And the bottom line is that somebody says, hey, I want 5,000 hours MTDF. What they really want is very few failures, oftentimes, I shouldn't say always, because some people actually know what they're asking for. But what they really want is to go about 5,000 hours or 10,000 hours with very few failures. And if they ask for 5,000 hour MTBF and you deliver a 5,000 hour MTBF, they will have many failures before 5,000 hours of operating time or use time. And I think that's the key problem that comes with it. Yeah, and I agree with you, um, uh, David, obviously, is that, yeah, people just don't understand it. And a part of it is we don't want to understand the statistics. We don't understand this part and the other thing. We think we understand an average, but this is time to time to failure type data. It's not the same as a normal distribution, for example. And, and so there's, I digress. It goes on and on and on. So what do you do about it, right? Is there a better way? It, what, what should we talk about? And there was a few people that asked that question and I get this question all the time. Is there a better way? Yeah. Just talk about reliability, right? What function, be clear, this phone is going to make and receive phone calls and it's going to do it in a handheld portable system uh, operating worldwide where there are where there is cell coverage because otherwise it's not going to work. I have to have an environment where it's connected to the network. And it's going to do it with 98% probability of doing it successfully over the next two years. There's really little room there to quibble about what exactly I mean. Now you could argue about well, what's a failure, what's not a failure, is a drop call count, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if my hardware doesn't connect to the cell tower down the road for me and I can't make a call, my phone's dead. That's bad. Or if the battery doesn't have a charge in it, it's dead. Right? Those are failures and so on with environment, with everything else, we can be very specific about it and make it very, very clear. But what I really like about it is the difference between that and MTBF. MTBF says I have a finite probability of failing every hour from now to eternity. If you take MTTF or MTTB, MT something without a duration tied to it, that's, a, by the way, a great question to ask people is say, well, over what duration is this, this measure valid? And they look at you confused because they think it is a duration. But once again, I digress. We can set a, a reliability target and measure reliability, say, for the first month of operation or the first three months or at installation or whatever time period we're interested in. We can set a specific target and monitor progress towards achieving that. We can set it for, say, the warranty period or mission lifetime or some other vector that we're interested in. And then we could set it for, well, how long do you think people are actually going to use this? What's our, how long should this system operate? What's the expectation? And it may be outside the warranty period, which is common. So I would love my phone to last for five years. It's expensive. It should just work. That doesn't always occur because they have a new way cool feature. Uh, and lately, the new cameras aren't really enticing me to buy a new phone. But the, the idea is, is that you can have multiple targets that have different probabilities and probably will. And they're not tied to a distribution. They're not tied to any statistics or a goal. And then we could use statistics and sampling and measurement systems to gauge how well we're doing, do our data analysis and gauge against it. But it gives us the ability to look at the changing nature of the performance of your products over time, as opposed to smoothing it all out and assuming it's constant. And so there, there is a better way and I have found that if I say 98% should survive for two years, 
very few engineers or even managers will balk at that. They understand what that means. So that means, well, I shouldn't have any more than 2% failures, right? It's pretty easy math to sort out. And it doesn't matter when they occur, right? If they occur early or late, they still count as a failure and it counts against that, that piece of it, right? So there are many better ways and reliability is the one I advocate for. Yeah, and um, Hojat, and I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Good question. A good example is one of the things, it's a way to show people kind of the fallacy of MTBF. And, and so somebody says, I want a, a uh, MTBF of 100 hours. And then they say, well, it, I, how, what's its reliability? How, how many will survive for 100 hours? And they're assuming maybe, a common misunderstanding is they're assuming that most of them will survive. Well, let's do the math. E to the negative lambda t, right? We plug, or one over MTVF, we plug the numbers in, 100 over 100 is E to the negative one, and we end up with like 37% are expected to survive that duration. And he says, wait a sec, that's more than half. And he says, well, that's the average for an exponential distribution. It doesn't have to be 50%. That's that's its definition. That's the formula. That's how it works. If you assume the exponential distribution, that's what you're asking me for. And so with one client, I actually converted their, their MTBF targets into reliability. And they said, well, that looks bad. I says, well, of course it looks bad. That's what it is. It doesn't matter whether you say 10,000 hour MTBF or 37% survival over one year. That's what you're asking. That's what you're stating. And, and they didn't like that at all. So instead of changing the reliability of their product to be better, um, they insisted on using MTBF because their customers thought their product was better than it was. It was kind of the message they were trying to send, which I thought was not good, no longer a client. All right, so what is it? Let's do a little bit of background. Uh, what does it really mean, right? Well. It's, I've heard all kinds of definitions for this, and this goes back to that confusion about it, right? Yet even just the terms itself doesn't help people understand what it means, right? It's an average. We take the time to failure information. We may use uh, the total time of all of our systems that are operating, and we divide, we sum that all up, and we divide it by the number of failures we experience. And MTTF is exactly the same, except we don't replace or repair the units. We may replace them, but they start over counting uh, time, but we tally time and divide by number of failures. It's pretty simple math, actually. And it gives us an average for an exponential distribution. It's the unbiased estimator for lambda in the exponential distribution, which is all great and wonderful. And you can do this with any set of data. It could be a Weibull with a high beta value, but you still get total time and number of, of uh, uh, failures, and you can calculate an MTBF. Um, every distribution, every set of data has an average. Um, and if it happens to be life data, right, well, then it's, it, we call it an MTBF, or we call it MTTF. But it doesn't mean all these things. It's just a mathematical calculation of a mean, which, in most cases, doesn't give us information that we're actually interested in. And it usually, and most likely, doesn't represent the underlying time to failure pattern that's actually happening. It just smooths it out. It's like drawing a parabola on a, on a piece of graph paper and trying to find the best fit straight line. Well, it just doesn't work. It doesn't describe what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, you know, Rob, if this is the first time you're hearing this, I understand the 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 wow there. It, it yeah, it and even with the math part of it. Is in VJ, you know, I've been shaking my head for about 15 years of why people use MTBF or MTTF. Hence my ongoing discussion with it. If I continue to raise the discrepancies here, um, I'm hoping and have been seeing changes. It, 
industries and standards and companies uh, are regularly saying, we are not going to use that metric anymore. We're going to do something useful. And I applaud them and keep it up. But there isn't any reason whatsoever in my mind, and I highly recommend it should be the same for you as, as also people that understand this stuff, to never, never use it. Don't use it for anything actually useful or meaningful or, or important to you and your organization. Um, you know, by definition, MTBF, uh, Mohammed, is not always associated with the exponential distribution. But here's the problem, right? If somebody says there's a 10,000-hour MTBF and that's all they give you, the only, I mean, what they're basically saying is that the first hour operation has a 1 in 10,000 chance of failing. And at 100 hours, I have a 1 in 10,000 chance of failing. And at 10,000 hours, I still have, for that hour, from 9999 to 10,000, I have a 1 in 10,000 chance of failing. That's all they're telling us. They're saying that we did some data, we did some estimates, we did, did whatever, and we're claiming the MTBF is 10,000 hours. What they're not telling you is, do you should you expect failures early, early life failures? Should I expect random failures? Should I expect all these failures to occur near the end of that lifetime or that 10,000 hours or whatever time period? Is it a wear out mechanism in there someplace? Um, if they don't tell you anything at all about the nature of the failure mechanism, you don't have enough information other than to use the exponential distribution. You have nothing to go on. There's, there's nothing there informative of what to do. All you have is an average. It's just a, a grand smoothing of what you're going, but you don't know the standard deviation. And the exponential distribution is pretty convenient because one over the uh, the failure rate is the 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 lambda serves both functions, right? It does both things for you, but it doesn't tell us what's where the what's going on in the data. It doesn't help us understand those things. Um, yeah, the story with the, this client, they went back to MDBF in their all their marketing literature because it sounded it, having an eight. 84,216 hour MTBF for their system sounded a whole lot better, or not 80,000, it was 8,000, some number uh, hours MTBF, made it sound like it would last for eight years. That was what they figured their customers were assuming that meant. And, and so that is where the problem was. They were misrepresenting their product's performance because of the way the customers interpreted MTBF. And they also liked numbers that were big and went up when they got better and all those kinds of things. If I'm only talking about uh, failure rate, right, or reliability, well, I can get close to one, but I can't quite get to one. And it conveys that there's always a possibility of failure. Where if MTBF and the customer believes that's the failure-free period, if I have a failure on Tuesday and 10,000 hours later, I expect my next failure, and in between, I don't expect any, then it's playing on a bit of ignorance of your customers to, to what purpose, right? Their product's still going to fail if it's actually achieving that target way before what their customers' expectations are. And that's why they called me. This is our customers are getting too many failures. I said, you need to change the way you make decisions. And so we made some progress, but uh, not quite enough. You know, um, David, the uh, Drenix theorem is a is an interesting concept to this. And there's a uh, there's a, a podcast I did with Philip Sage. I'll have to find the links to that and send it out in the notes or attach it to the recordings and so on. Is it's a theoretical approach. And if you check the data and have, say, 20 years worth of data and an ongoing replacement system with most of the systems in the group and a number of other assumptions, it'll get close, right? It'll be in that area of Drenic theorem. But it takes decades for even a very complex system to approach that. Now, we're 
it, so it, it's theoretical. I wouldn't assume it just because you have a complex system, right? If you just started a new plant or just commissioned a new line, yeah, it's a complex system. But in about 20 to 30 years, assuming nothing changes and all of the spare parts are the equivalent of the originals and a whole bunch of other assumptions, you will approach a constant failure rate. It almost never individually goes. And the other part of this, this problem is that I don't really care about the overall system, right? If I'm a reliability engineer or a maintenance manager, I care about what's failing and why. What can I do about it? I focus on failure mechanisms. And I need to know if that's a, if this set of bearings are all wearing out because they were the wrong ones, or if our maintenance practices for these, for the lubrication process is not serving our equipment and we're wearing out or we're causing more damage than we expected. I need to know that. System MTBF doesn't help me at all. I need to make decisions that actually affect the performance of that system. And MTBF doesn't help me at all in order to do that. And so there's a bunch of issues here. Right. So I see some, uh, Felix, you're seeing the audio is bad. Um, check your system for what you have uh, eating up bandwidth. That's almost always the issue. If not, log out and log back in. Okay, you're welcome, David. And let's see, got one more question here, then I'll move on. Can we have failure rate to be used as a reference for, to product reliability rather than MTBF? And we often see it in data sheets, uh, uh, Mukund. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Uh, but good question. We often see failure rate um, on, on components that, and even some will re, uh, state it in fit, failures in time, and it's one in the one per billion. Uh, uh, notation, so like a 28-fit uh, part means that it has a 28 in a million hours probability of, of failing. It's a failure, very low failure rate, so we use this unique measure of it. Um, remember, though, that lambda is a failure rate, right? One over lambda is MTBF, so it doesn't move you very far away from MTBF. Sounds better although marketing guys don't like talking about failures. The issue is, is that, that again, it's just one number for something that is rather more complex than that. And it, it masks whether the failures are occurring early or late, which is what you, me, and our customers are interested in. Do I need more spares up front? Do I need to be more careful with installation? Or do I operate for five years and then have to start seriously thinking about the replacing the entire system or doing an overhaul because it's going to start to wear out? I'd much rather have accurate information to what the pattern of failure is than not. And so that's all in all what the issue is, is that MTBF is just an average. It doesn't really help us do anything. All right, so see if I can. So how do I estimate? I talked about this. Um, one of my favorite stories in how to estimate MTBF was from a company that was one of the best vendors for fans, cooling fans that we knew of at HP. When I was working at HP, we were looking at our, our spares that were being shipped to repair servers. and one of the observations was this is one particular vendor was almost never used in spares. If that system had it built in originally, they just worked. And these other fan vendors had failures and they were being replaced regularly and so on. And it was a, a nice observation. So I was tasked to, to go um, to Southern California and go talk to this fan vendor and ask them what they did such that their parts were so good. And so I did a little homework first. I looked at all their data sheets and they had 50,000 hour MTBF on every one of their data sheets. And some of these were great big blowers and some were just small uh, fans for a single component, for example, and blowing through a small uh, heat sink or most of them, the ones we use were for uh, like server cabinets. And they were all identical. 
So that's kind of suspicious that in some were roller bearings, some were ball bearings, some were brushless motors, some were this. I mean, they had all kinds of technologies of fans. And so I met the general manager and, and he gave me a quick tour and I said, why is it that every single one of your products has the same uh, MTBF value or MTTF value? And he goes, what do you mean? And he says, well, look, here, look at your data sheets and it's on every one of them. And he goes, oh, well, that's just a, that, that's just the, the boilerplate that the marketing people put on there. And he says, well, that's you're not trying to represent the reliability of your products? Oh, no, no, MTBF, we just put that on there because everybody else uses the same number. It's just boilerplate. And I said, well, how do you estimate the reliability of your product? How do you support this claim on your data sheet? And he goes, oh, um, well, let me show you. And he showed me a, a great big bank of, of, of fans and they had little streamers on them so you could see them blowing air, whether they were working or not. And they were behind glass in a little room and there was air blowing all over the place. And, was, and he says, these have been running for years. And every time we come up with a new model, we put it in there and turn it on. All right, are you tracking this? Are you monitoring it? Are you looking for failures? He goes, well, the only failure we have is when the power goes out. So that's why we installed that great big um, uh, backup power supply to keep everything running because if they stop running, about half of them don't restart again. But that's not a failure because that's just the startup. And he had no idea what his what this metric was or what it was trying to represent. And he, they didn't have a reliability program. They just had a couple of really brilliant engineers that made really good design decisions to make a durable, robust fan. And they benefited from that. But it wasn't intentional by any means. And it wasn't monitored or measured uh, in any meaningful way. Yeah. And so how do you estimate MTBF? Well, there's all kinds of ways to do it. You can make it up. It's about as accurate as any other method I've ever heard of. Uh, you could use actual field data and represent it. But the issue is, is that if I have a 50,000 hour MTBF value from real data, there's an infinite number of sets of data that can give you that value. I could have a lot of failures up front and then very, very few later, or I could have a bunch of failures later and almost none early on, or I can have one failure per hour uh, evenly distributed throughout, which is not random by the way, it just like clockwork on a Friday afternoon, one of them fails. There's an infinite number of combinations of data that will give you the exact same measure or, or result, say 50,000 uh, hours MTBF. So you can estimate it any way you want. It really doesn't matter. Then you combine that with people not really understanding what it means, and you can see where we're at. All right. I'll get to questions here in a moment. I want to. So, one of the things we're trying to do when we say MTBF or customer asks you MTBF is to say, well, what's its, what's its reliability? And this will get into what we do about it when somebody asks this or you see it in a contract or anywhere else. It's, what is it they're really trying to do? Sometimes they're trying to figure out spares. Sometimes they're building it into a model. Most of the time, somebody's trying to make a decision. Is this going to work for my system? Is this the appropriate device for this application? And it's one of many parts that goes into that decision. And somebody says, and I've heard this, and I'm sure you have. Oh, it's got, we need this part to last for a year. And it's got a 10,000 hour MTBF. That's plenty. We don't, we only need 8,000 hours in the year. And you quickly can understand the dilemma there is that they're not getting what they think they're getting. And that's a common uh, mistake. So the, the basic question is, is, is when somebody says, I want X MTBF, then the response is, well, what do you want? <laughs> right? Because telling me you want X MTBF, I have unlimited ability to answer that any way I want, and you may or may not be happy at the end of the day. And so it's a common refrain is somebody asks for MTBF, I say, so you're talking about reliability, right? So how many failures in the first year are you willing to accept? It would be a, a okay. And they're all none, of course. I says, well, economically, I can't get guarantee none. How about a chance of one occurring? 
oh, that sounds okay. I can deal with that. Well, that's not what you just asked me for. You know, so kind of the logic of that discussion goes that way. So let me see what I got questions in. You know, the problem with, yeah, good point, David, is management like single numbers. Give them red, yellow, green. Give them three things, you know? It's better than MTBF. Um, I've shown, I don't know how many cumulative distribution functions of viable plots to management, and within 20 seconds, they get it. They can read trends on a stock ticker, right? A chart for stock prices. They can figure out a trend on a viable plot and understand what it means. Don't underestimate your management teams. They might like a single number, but that's too bad, right? Um, so let's see. So, so Vatsen, I'm sorry, uh, is as an unreliable. We use unreliability to indicate component com performance. Instantaneous. So hazard rate. Now the hazard function has a, a use. There's no doubt about it. It's in a particular realm. I tend to use either like unreliability is the cumulative distribution function, CDF, which gives you a nice plot of, and you can read right off of it, in a, in a year, I expect this many to fail, or this proportion, I should say, to fail. And it's easy to read. Um, like I said, it's, even managers can understand it. So it's, it's, a, it's a good, it's a way better what you're proposing and using than MTBF. Um, so Felix, you're asking about how to do this for a whole plant. Well, one, don't. What's the point? It, it's absolutely meaningless to you. You can calculate the availability of your whole plant by op, um, how often do you expect your line to run? How many hours does that tally up to? And how many times was it not running? You probably have sensors that will tell you this already. And just use the calculation of time as a ratio to give your actual availability, which is probably what you're interested in at a plant level. At the individual component level, the reliability informs us for spares and so on, but you got to keep it to the individual component and failure mechanism more technically. Yeah, it, and it sounds like you got a, a, a more complex situation there, Felix, but the overall MTBF is not informative. It doesn't help you or anybody else make any decisions whatsoever. So please don't use it. So how do we estimate reliability early on in a system? And I, I, I'll mention that a little bit. It's a little bit outside of today's scope, but it is a good question. Don't use parts count prediction. That's kind of a waste of time. That's a random number generator. And one of the questions we got prior was if I do a parts count prediction. Has anybody actually compared those uh, Emil Hambuk 217 and the other systems to actual performance? And yes, there was a professor in England that had a bunch of students um, and they had a set of data for field data. So he asked his students to conduct the 217 prediction. And I think he explored like six or seven other uh, prediction methods. Uh, parts count prediction methods, including stress included and all these different factors and stuff. And they got a lot of information. They calculated all out as best they could and compared it to actual data. And it was, I think it was short by 100% and over by 400%. The, the error was phenomenal of compared to what it really was. And none of them actually got close um, to what it really was. So. So a uh, good question, Hojat, the difference between a uh, failure rate and probability of failure. So failure rate, I mean, they're obviously related, right? The failure rate is the ratio of the number of failures related to the opportunities for failure. So if you ran something for 100 hours and one item failed anywhere in that period of time, um, you've got a one in 100 chance of failure, a failure or a one in 100 failure rate. The probability of failure is the the, the uh, percentile on the time to failure distribution. And so if I'm interested in 100 hours, uh, it might be one in 100. It might be that 1% issue. There's, there, 
they're different, um, but they're related. And I'll leave it at that. And I know that Chris uh, Jackson did a really nice uh, presentation uh, recently on that. And I'll see if I get him back in to talk about the different, it was on the, uh, the um, all these functions in, in his probability, in the webinar a couple of weeks ago, it was about all the different functions, CDF, PDF, and so on. And he described those differences much more eloquently than I, I am. All right, uh, what about using, Matthew's asking, so what about just using MTBF on an ongoing basis and watch it change? I actually saw somebody um, tracking MTBF on a monthly basis and then do an arrival plot of the change in MTBF value over time. And like, why didn't you just use a arrival plot to start with? You know, you got the time to failure data instead of trying to track trends and detecting changes. Now here's a phenomenon that occurs though, is if you have early life failures and you're tracking MTBF and you know it because customers are calling and saying, hey, I only had this for 20 days and it's already failed, you gotta fix it, so you fix it. The MTBF might get worse. Right? Just put a spreadsheet together real quick and dump a bunch of failure times early, right? And a few long ones and calculate MTBF. Now repair some of those early life failures so they, they last longer. Just increase that number, that time to failure number. The MTBF value will, will pivot to look worse. It, the, it's, it's just the way the math works if you're using just the average. Right? If the underlying distribution is not actually uh, exponential, meaning a, a constant hazard rate, um, by fixing early life failures, you will make the MTBF a, a smaller number. Everybody's panicking now we're making it worse. No, you're not. You're getting rid of failures. That's a good thing. You're using the wrong measure. Uh, let's see, Felix. Um, I tend to put the slides up afterwards, um, and there's um, there's a bunch of articles that talk about this stuff. I'll try to add a bunch of that stuff also. Um, and Noop, what do you got here for me? Yeah, early concept phase, design phase. Yeah, I think I just explained that. One of, or I didn't explain that. I said there's a problem with doing that with parts count prediction. One way to get it early on is to say. Nine times out of 10, we're building a, something that we have experience with. It's the next generation of our product or it's an, uh, a, a slightly different version of a solution we're already providing or our competitors already have something in the field and we can get a hold of those and evaluate them. We should not do parts count prediction. It's a great way to compare different strategies and technologies, but it's not useful for actually predicting what you're field reliability is going to be. It just is a random number generator in that respect. But if you use the same process and compare it to two different bombs or structures, um, you can get a, a relative difference between those things. But beyond that, it has very little of any value. The early in your system is create a block diagram and ask your engineering teams to give an estimate of what they think they're at right now. That is better than a parts count prediction. Right, I have a motherboard. We've made lots of these before. We have great field data on it. Here's my estimate. It's probably going to be pretty accurate. We're only changing 20 parts on here, so it's going to be pretty cool, pretty similar. Another one saying, well, I'm buying these this power supply from a vendor, and their data says X. I don't really trust their data, but that's the best estimate I got now, which is better than a parts count prediction, and so on. You can use engineering judgment to get your initial estimates. And then as you get more and more data, whether it's internal testing or just prototypes on your system, you can start tracking this stuff and nailing it down as you sort out the failure mechanisms and move and, and make improvements on those. So there are many ways to get an estimate, even in the concept phase, that doesn't involve MTBF or parts count predictions. All right. Let's see. Yeah, here's one to ponder. Um, what does it really mean, right? 
and I'm, this is a hypothetical question. If somebody asks you for this, what do they really want? That's a different answer than what is the set of numbers that created this estimate if you had real field data. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's an infinite number of combinations of data that could give you this number. So what does it really mean? I'm contending it has very little to no content of information, informational content that helps us do anything whatsoever. And that's kind of the whole point. Now, setting a goal is great. Everybody should set a goal, right? But it doesn't really help us much. Because there's so many different ways I can actually achieve that goal, right? So an NMTBF goal, and you see this a lot of times in a contract, right? One of the issues with setting an MTBF goal or setting a target in a, in a contract is that it's, it should be clearly measurable. I always use the example of a, somebody's making tires, for example, and somebody says, I need tires that have 50,000 hour MTBF, right? MTTF, because they're technically not, well, I guess they are repairable, but whatever. If I'm the tire manufacturer, and I know that the tread of my tire wears off in about 20,000 hours, uh, or 20,000 miles, say, of, uh, of this goal, I can achieve this goal with testing by testing 50,000 tires for one mile each or one hour each. And now I have accumulated time of 50,000 and I had no failures or one failure. Great, I can measure it. I can show you my data. Uh, you wanted MTBF, it's a, we're assuming it's a constant failure rate because you didn't specify any other way to do this. So I'm going to run this test with lots of samples for a very short time and call it good. Completely ignoring this known or unknown wear out mechanism, right? And you go all kinds of different tricks to actually achieve that goal that ignores the patterns of time to failure, infant mortality or wear out mechanisms in particular. And so the idea here is that the, the actual goal should be clearly measurable and understood how we're, how, what it means, what it actually means. And MTBF doesn't, and it goes back to that, you know, what's really going on here? What's the really real phenomenon? And let's see, David said, yeah, maybe I should get offline. That'd be great. That'd be no problem. Just send me a note and we'll set some time up and get on Skype or wherever and, and see what's on your mind. Uh, Felix, you know, what's the relationship between MTBF and reliability? Now, my easy answer is none, right? In practice, a lot of people think MTBF fully specifies reliability. Now, remember, reliability has four parts, right? It has, what's the function, which we're assuming if you're talking about a particular product, like a fan, the fan should spin and blow air around or whatever. And it has an environment, right? Fans can be used in a server, and so they're kind of helps us nail down the, the environment. But MTBF by itself doesn't tell us any of these things, but usually they're associated with some product or system, so we can guess at those other pieces. But it gives us just a probability. MTBF is one over the failure rate. It is a chance of failing per hour. That's all it is, right? That's, how it, that's mathematically what it means. And, but it doesn't give us a duration. So is this only good for the first hour of use or is this only good for the, like the tires, it's only good for one mile. And then after that, we're not really sure because we didn't test it anything beyond that. Is it good forever? Well, most people doubt that. But is it good enough for how long I need it? Getting an MTBF value doesn't tell you that because it doesn't have that information. And it's, it's a large part of why I go after it. It's, it's not a good measure of reliability. It's one of four pieces. And even then, it's not even all that good. So many people think it's equivalent. It's not at all. And with the add-on, there's just a general confusion people have around MTBF, then it's not reliability at all. It's similar. 
Yeah, so using MTBF as a lagging indicator, um, again, it gets really tricky because the nature of MTBF, and it's out there at the 63rd percentile of the distribution, we're not really interested in that point in time or when 37% are, are still surviving. We're interested in the B1, B10, B5, you know, that area, the early tail. And MTBF really messes with you when you are measuring something way out there on the distribution and trying to make intelligent decisions about the early tail, the, the early failures, or the changes in, in the occurring. And as I mentioned earlier, if you have infant mortality stuff and fix those, your MTBF will look worse, not better. So it's it'll give you a, an indicator that says you're going in the wrong direction, inappropriately. Now, MTBF doesn't really help us on maintenance issues whatsoever. As you know, things fail for a variety of reasons. So understand the failure mechanisms and do the due diligence to, to do the failure analysis, then do your analysis, right? At an overall thing, if you're looking for big trends and goals, is use a Bible plot or use a mean cumulative function that allows us in a non-parametric way to look at trends in systems performances that actually adds that ability to detect Failures are becoming more frequent or less frequent on a simple graph. And there's ways to do regression analysis on that also. MTVF doesn't give us that number, right? If it goes up, it doesn't necessarily mean our product is getting better. And if it goes down, it doesn't mean our product is getting worse or system is getting worse. So be very careful about using uh, any metric and do a bunch of simulations to see how uh, the changes that you're trying to affect would show up in that metric. And I've, over and over again, MTBF, MTTF, by the nature of how they're calculated, doesn't really give you a, a clear picture of what's going on with your underlying data. Yeah, you can define, um, Jose, you can define MTBF as a scalar or whatever you want, but it, doesn't contain enough information, I think, to even qualify for that. When there's an infinite number of ways you, you can come up with that particular number and lots of different tricks you can use to test to show whatever number you want, why are we even trying to get to that number? It's, it's pretty meaningless. And then you add just the confusion on meaning. It, it doesn't help anybody outside of the few people that understand it. So just don't use it. All right, so I talked about that already. All right, if we're trying to tell people that our product is good, it will last and work over some period of time, well, let's just use reliability. Let's actually talk about reliability and availability and the number of repairs that you expect to have to maintain that availability and be done with it. Much, much cleaner, much, much easier. So when is it when should you use this constant rate assumption? I actually was sitting in a meeting where somebody was working on, on motors and nearly everything in their system wore out, claiming that they all of their data shows that they have a constant hazard rate, that they always can use MTBF. I says, really, how is that possible? And he said, well, we just assume we have a constant hazard rate. And so we only do testing and data collection that collect, we don't collect time to failure data because you don't need to when it's a constant hazard rate. You just need to count the number of failures, which is much simpler. So we just count failures and tally up time. And then we're, we've got our, our, our MTBF value. All right, let me get this right. And I'm sitting there, this is a tier one supplier to a military contract. And the military folks are sitting there next to me. And I said, now, wait a sec, let me get this right. You always have a constant hazard rate because you assume you always have a constant hazard rate. Therefore, you only calculate your data, collect and calculate your data, assuming that you have a constant hazard rate. And then if I'm following your logic correctly, therefore, you're saying you have proof that you only have a constant hazard rate with your product. And I looked at the military guy and says, do you ever have anything wear out? <laughs> he goes, oh yeah, all the time. 
it, and they just didn't get it. Well, it's got to be true because we assume it. It was kind of the logic. You know, I, I should have just got up and left in that meeting, but I was pretty frustrated for a while there. All right, so how do you come back to people that seem like this thing? One of them that I don't recommend is just laugh at them. I, I've tried this a few times. It doesn't really work. They, they stop listening to you. So it's not, I don't recommend just ridicule them. Those, those kind of things. Um, it doesn't help, right? It, it gives us an opportunity to open a discussion. This is not a good technique to get started with it, right? Now, many of you are, and I saw it in the registration questions, it are required to provide MTBF by contract. You have to do that. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to use MTBF to do your design, to do your modeling, to do your testing and system and everything else. I can take any Weibull distribution, I can take any set of data, and I can give you an MTBF number. Okay? It, that is not difficult to do. What is difficult to do is to only use MTBF for all your modeling and all your systems analysis and all your decisions and actually achieve anything useful. So what I suggest is do due diligence, do the data analysis, set reliability goals, uh, create block diagrams or whatever the appropriate modeling systems are and get the best available time to failure distribution data or time to failure pattern data available to you and get a, a good reliability estimate, good availability estimate. And if you still have to provide MTBF, provide both. Send them the MTBF value and send them the Weibull plot, right? This one, say, here's what you asked for. This might be useful. Here's your Weibull plot. Here's your time to failure pattern. If you're going to do spares, the Weibull is way more informative for key failure mechanisms than any MTBF value would be. So provide both, right? If you want to make good decisions, don't use MTBF. If you have to provide it, it's easy to calculate at any point in time given any of the other techniques that we use, right? Save yourself a whole lot of headache of setting yourself up structurally to make bad decisions. So some of the proper responses is one is just ask, what is it you really want, right? What it, when you say 50,000 MTBF, and, and this is a fair, I've done this many times, a good success. Some people think that means that you would run for 50,000 hours with very few or no failures. Is that what you mean? And if they say yes, well, there's an opening to say, well, that's not what you're asking for. Here's the math, right? If, if they define it as it's the 50th percentile, which says that may or may not be true depending on what the underlying distribution is. Why don't we use a, a, a different way to set this goal. How many are you expecting or, or would be acceptable to fail shortly after installation? How many in the first year? How many during a mission, of, say a 12-hour flight mission? How many over, say, the lifetime of your asset, say five years, 10 years, 20 years? How about we set a number for each one of those things that's economically viable for us to provide and useful, valuable for you to actually have that performance. Let's figure that out. MTBF doesn't give us that value. Yeah, it's one number, but it's not useful. So the other way to approach this is, well, how are you going to use this information? If they say they're gonna use it for spares, you realize that you're gonna be wrong with your sparing calculations almost every time because either you're gonna have not enough spares if you have early life failures occurring, you're gonna have this average that's below the number you need, or you can have a whole pile of them in your storeroom waiting for the wear out mechanisms to occur and you're wasting storage space and, and, and spares. And some of those spares, as you know, don't store well. So why don't we talk about the failure mechanism that you're calculating that sparing for and get you the appropriate information to do that. And so connecting it to what they're trying to do with that number. Now, the only answer I got to this question, what do you really want or what are you gonna do with this? Is that uh, a big OEM said, well, it's on our checklist and I have to have that number in order to check this box off so that we can make the purchase. Okay, your MTBF is 48,216. 
And he went, good, thanks, check. And he moved on. So if they're not going to use it for anything, don't worry about it. Just give them a number. You know, do a quick prediction report, flex your spreadsheet, and, and give it to them. Don't waste your time doing it any other way. All right. And let's see. This is my recommended one is, you know, the idea is to really help people understand what they're asking for in a clear way so that we can understand what they really want. Right now, the issue of write these military contracts that were written 10, 20 years ago or five years ago, and they're just nothing but MTBF, and you're funded by only what's in the contract, that's a real dilemma. We got to work harder and faster upstream to educate these things. I wish more people were attending this that were in the procurement and contract writing realm as the ones that really need to be here to help solve this problem. But at the end of the day is that you need to create an understanding between you, your vendors, and your client, and your customers, so that they ask for what they want, and you can present to them what you can deliver, right? And from a reliability point of view, I just recommend use reliability, the four-part definition. Make it easy on yourself and them all the way through. Let's see. Now my sides aren't working. There we go. The basic idea here is that we want to help people make it, you know, have make good decisions. And whether it's our own team, our management, our vendors or suppliers, and, and our customers, if I provide reliability and the product works reliably, say 99% survive for two years, uh, in that particular application, then we may consider that really good, or maybe not. But now I have something to judge it by. MTBF doesn't help me understand that at all. So just don't use it. Now, if it's required, that's a whole nother story. It's just don't make all your decisions using reliability, but then when it absolutely has to be on the page, you can put it out there. But it, I think the best case is to do both. Saying here's the Bible plot and here's the MTBF. The Bible plot's useful, the MTBF not so much. Hopefully that helps people understand that some of why I'm saying it's such a difference. Let's see. Um, so Hoja, MTBF and failure rate are, are reciprocals of each other. If you know one, you know the other, right? Um, essentially. Now, failure rate, if you calculate it by just total count and time to failure, then that's one thing. But if your failure rate is changing with time, then just taking the tally to calculate MTBF doesn't give you an accurate picture of the failure rate over different durations of time. So it's it's tricky that way that it is not it's not helpful in both directions. Let's see. I'm going to touch up some of the questions here. <laughs> Thanks, David. Yeah, MTBF is the worst. There's, um, I think the misunderstanding of MTBF is the worst. MTBF is just a calculation. It happened to be um, simplifying when we didn't have calculators and computers, so it was commonly used doesn't mean it's bad in and of itself. I think our use and understanding of it is what's led it to be the, the great evil of our times, according to me. So, yeah, Bible plotting for one component, it's true, but my cell phone, as far as I'm concerned, is not repairable, right? It, it should last years without repairs. And so I, a Bible plot for that would work for me. If it is a repairable system, use a mean cumulative function. Uh, Josh, there's a handful of different ways to go about dealing with repairable systems or non-repairable systems. And yeah, you're right. Viable plot's great when you got a particular failure mechanism. It's wonderful. I have seen it used at system level that have multiple failure mechanisms under it to give you an idea of what's going on with your system. And of course, it gets more complex the more complex your product is. But you don't need to use a single number. I think that's my main thrust here, because it doesn't really get you what you want to do. 
So my views on MTTR uh, and OOP, the, the mean time to repair. Again, we almost always know that the time to repair values we deal with, the distribution, if we go out and measure repair times for a particular job, say a lubrication of a particular piece of equipment, it's a log normal distribution, almost always, right? So simplifying it to an exponential distribution really doesn't help us, right? Why do we have such this, this long tail? And if I make changes to the end of that tail, it's really hard to see the change in an MTTR number. Let's just use log normal and plot them next to each other and we can see the change in the shape of these things. So I, I, one thing that I haven't mentioned here is that I have yet to see any system or any component that actually has a, a constant failure rate ever, no data set ever. There's some are close, some you could, you know, yeah, that's, you know, varies like 3% over two years, so that's close enough. Or if you narrow down the time frame really small, then it's imperceptible the amount of change in failure rate over that small period of time. But in practice, we don't we don't get there. And as, as Mark, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his last name, has mentioned many times, it's it's, it's fundamental to the second law of thermodynamics. We can't have a constant failure rate. It's just not possible. Now we can wave our hands and make lots of assumptions, but that doesn't make it true. So be careful about making those assumptions. Now, I certainly appreciate all the questions and all the comments and all that other good stuff. And I know we're right up against the hour here, uh, but I'll stay on the line as long as there's comments and questions and stuff. Um, the recording should go up in a day or two up on Ascendo Reliability. And uh, for those that I know that probably have to jump off, thanks for attending and thanks for all of the comments and questions that came in. And I'll be following up with any of the registration questions that we didn't cover so to make sure you get an answer. And I'm drawing a complete blank as I always do on what's our next event, but you can find those at, on Ascendo Reliability underneath upcoming live events and we'll see you there. I got a couple more questions coming in. So I could define my monthly failure rate to expect during warranty and post warranty. That would be a good way to inform my customers what to expect. You could, right? Uh, a Weibull plot actually does that in many cases. Um, the, uh, um, the idea is saying, if my product is one month old, here's my probability of failure. If my product is two months old in normal use, here's the probability of failure and so on. You actually are giving them a, a, a graphic or a formula that says, here's what we expect, right? And that's way more informative than not having that. Now, I actually ran into a, a vendor that made IGBTs. It's a, a, a component for converting DC power to AC power. Um, and they usually get pretty hot and, and, and bigger applications. They're pretty cool looking devices uh, and they're pretty useful. And so I went to the vendor to understand how these things fail. I didn't, I wasn't looking for MTBF. I went looking for how do these things fail in our application? And they had two white papers, one for a high switching application and, and it had the failure mechanism is this, and here's the formula that describes that failure mechanism. And here's the environmental conditions that you can adjust to change that formula. And then they had one that applied to us, is they had a low switching application, but we had high thermal cycling. It was cold overnight and it was hot when it was on, it was a, in a solar power system. And they gave us the, a different failure mechanism because that's what dominated. And the formula based on their data and time to failure information for that failure mechanism. And then we could use that formula to adjust it to our environment to figure out if it was going to be acceptable or not. Was it reliable or not? That was way more informative than somebody saying, oh, it's whatever MTBF and, and, and ignoring what failure mechanism was in. So I highly advise people to, to provide the information that helps inform the decision-making that people that are looking for reliability information are looking for and can interpret and use using a, a value that doesn't do that is it's not really helping us. All right. All right, so 
get a number of thanks. Not any more questions there. So I, I see that we still got a few people online. Um, if you've got a question, let me know. You can do the questions tab. Um, I don't see it there, and I'm getting lots of thanks. Appreciate it. I also know that you probably have one or more Zoom meetings to head off to. So, and, um, so please go out and do great things with reliability, but just don't use MTDF and, uh, and help other people understand why. That would be great. So, um, see a bunch more thanks coming. I appreciate that. Thanks for everybody for attending and participating and, and all the comments and questions and stuff like that. That makes it so much more fun. I don't think I even, plenty of stories in these slides that could have gone on and on with that, but I'd much rather be answering your questions. So we'll, we'll go with that. All right, um, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up. We'll see you next month. Um,